This is Friends and Benefits, a podcast hosted by Reward Strategy, and you may have guessed it, they're Friends and Benefits. Stay tuned to find out what's hot, what's not, and what's happening in the world of pay and reward. Hello everyone, it's Jade Burke, Deputy Editor of Reward Strategy, hosting our next instalment of the Friends in Benefits podcast, and it's a real pleasure to be back again with this one. And joining me today is Jerome Williams, the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Lead at Sovereign Housing Association. The not-for-profit association looks after 60,000 homes and acts as a landlord as well as a developer, which includes new, new builds, conversions and regeneration schemes. And as a FTSE 250 business, the firm and its people certainly have their hands full. Of course, it's great to have Jerome with us today. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you, Jade. Nice to be here. Great stuff, Noah. We're thrilled to have you on board for this next instalment. Um, so obviously I mentioned in the intro there that you're in the DNI space. So I just wanted to ask you how you came to work within this sector. Hmm. It's a really long question, but a long story. So I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to see if I can do it quickly. Um, so I've, I've always had a really strong sense of fairness and equitable treatment. And that's been drilled into me by my family, um, as is the old adage that no matter where you, what the circumstances, don't forget where you come from. So I was born in Hansworth, Birmingham, um, which is a, a was and an is remains a kind of an inner city poorer area of the, of the city. So, but I've always been proud of my roots and my upbringing. And so I was always going to end up in a profession where helping people and being a part of communities and feeling, uh, letting people feel included and treated fairly was, was um, a part of the role. So all of that led me to studying law um, eventually at the University of Greenwich. And although I didn't pursue a legal career, I still wanted to make a difference. So I ended up at the old Commission for Racial Equality, um, as it was back then, um, as a paralegal and got my foundation of the the law, uh, the Race uh, Relations Act and the Sex Discrimination Act and the Disability Discrimination Act as as they were then before the Equality Act came in. Uh, But then eventually, um, long story short, I ended up at the Equality Challenge Unit, which is now Advanced HE. where I was a policy officer specializing in race and sex orientation for the education sector, higher education sector, sorry. Um, and then from there, I went on to the, the, the civil service, where I was the head of diversity and inclusion for uh, the Department of Energy and Climate Change, which is a department that no longer exists. But um, yeah, it, it definitely gave me a, a foundation. I was there for six years and uh, it gave me a foundation for my work. But I've been doing this work full time for about 14 years now. So um yeah, from the time I left university to now, I've, I've, I've got a broad understanding, I think, a good understanding of, of, of this role and how it works. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds like you've had a very varied career in terms of that then. Yes, I have. It's just, it's been looking back on it and um, I think thinking about uh, getting ready for today, it's, it's made me realise how, how different it's been. Um, but it's always been around, as I say, equity and, and, and inclusion. So... Yeah, it has been varied, but I've, I've gained a lot from each experience. Yeah, definitely. That's interesting. And how has that sort of led you now to Sovereign? How did you come to work there? Yeah, that was uh, interesting too. So before, once I left um, the Department of Energy and Climate Change, I went to work for Homes England, okay. uh, the government's housing agency. Um, and I was the head of diversity there for three years. Um and we were doing some great things, but I think what was interesting to me was that I was 
really interesting what housing associations were doing. Um, whenever I spoke to my counterparts at housing associations, I used to look jealously at the work that they did, the really good practice in terms of the work that they were doing, but also the impact that they were having on communities. Um, I think in my role at Homes England, I was a bit removed from the direct impact of the, the, the work that we were doing, whereas they were really involved. So I was always interested in that. Having said all that, I left um, Homes England to work for BT. <laughs> and um, that simply came about because BT uh, invited me to apply for a role and I, I went for it. And whilst I was there, I came to realize pretty quickly that I needed to be in a role where I was going to make or feel as I was going to make a difference and that I could see that difference and, and feel it. And so um, the the role at Sovereign came to be and I applied for that and, um, and I got it. Um, so, yeah, but there, here I am. And I, I will say a big reason for, for going to Sovereign was because of the ambition that they had around the uh, diversity and inclusion. And I, I really was impressed with what they were they wanted to do, but also their honesty about where they were um, and, and what they wanted to achieve. And I wanted to be a part of that, really. So, yeah, here I am. Fantastic. Yeah, so I guess that sort of, in a way, pushed you to, to join them because of their drive towards DNI. Absolutely. I think, you know, I have, have come over the years to realize that I need I need job satisfaction in this particular yeah. role. I, I need to know that my work and the things I'm doing are going to make a difference. Um, I really don't mind how much I'm being paid in terms of doing that. It's not about the money. And I'm not just saying that it really isn't. Um, I left BT to come and work for Sovereign, for example. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the, the fact is that I wanted to work in a role where I was going to make that difference. And the and I could see it and I could feel it. Yeah. And that sends me to bed with a smile on my face. So, you know, it, that's, yeah, it, it, it definitely was a, a, the right move for me. For sure. And I think that probably resonates well with quite a lot of people at the moment because job satisfaction is, is such a massive part of a role now. Mm. And like you say, sometimes money isn't always the be all and end all. Yeah, absolutely not. And I think, you know, if, it, uh, yeah, it perhaps was earlier on in my career, but I think, as I say, as I've come to to work in this space, um, the the impact that you can have and the the the, the ways in which you can see people's lives change mm. um, is much more interesting to me than actually, you know, doing something which isn't going to make that difference that I can feel I'm a part of. Right. Yeah. Definitely, that makes sense. And as you've mentioned just now, I know you've, you've covered different sectors that you've worked in. So mm. I just wanted to get your thoughts on how each of those varies in terms of DNI. and you know, has, has, that, has that differed in terms of when you were at telecoms and obviously now housing, mm. or has it remained the same? Yeah, so there are similarities and differences in each of them. Um, I think in terms of the similarities, the, the issues uh, of underrepresentation of Black, Asian, minority, ethnic people in senior positions, the ethnicity pay gap, the existence of a gender pay gap, LGBT inclusion, providing reasonable adjustments to people that need them. They've all been the same in, in each role I've had, um, sometimes depressingly with a little change regarding some of the issues around intolerance and discrimination, but they've all pretty much been very similar in, in terms of the, the, the drivers and the need. Um, the differences for me have come in, you know, what the driving factors for the workouts actually been. Uh, I'm about to generalize here, but I think for me, the, the private sector focus uh, on, on DNI, from what I've experienced, has been investment for a purpose, which has been about creating the right working environments to have the best people come and work for the company. Why? But because they know that the best will produce the best results and therefore have greater pro productivity and therefore help 
with profits. Um, and I know that's generalizing, but I think that's what I've come to experience. And I think for the education in the public sector, I got, I still get the sense that the, the drivers are around about ensuring legal compliance with the Equality Act and the public sector equality duty, or ensuring that they've acquired charter marks such as the Athena Swan or the Race Equality Charter, or that they will win hearts and minds by making bold statements that DNI is something they take seriously. I think none of those approaches uh, uh, seem to have driven the agenda forward, the DNI agenda forward, in, at any great pace and in any great way. And I think that the best organisations, the ones that I've seen uh, and taken best practice from myself, um, just by watching them, have understood the value of DNI to their overall purpose. Right. And for them, it's it's therefore it's been about it's been integral to what they're trying to achieve, and therefore it's been a heart of it's been at the heart of what they're trying to do. Mm. Um, and and attracting people to come and work for them and be front and center of the services they deliver to customers and communities as a result. And I, I will call out one organization for, for really great practice, as far as I'm concerned on that on that score and that Sky. I think Sky are doing some fantastic work um, on, on, on DNI at the moment um, and have been for a few years now. So yeah, kudos to them really, because I'm, I'm learning a lot just by watching what they do. Right, well, that, that's good to know, definitely. Yeah, it's it's just, I think, you know, it's although I'm generalizing when I when I spoke about those the, the public and the private sector differences, I, I, I do think that there are some really good um good practice out there really that's taking place for people to go and uh, learn from. And as I said, I have I've learned a lot by by watching. Yeah. And I guess a lot happens from that in terms of watching and learning and, and just picking up things like other companies are doing, for example. It does. And I think that that's how we as a as an industry, as a as a, as organizations actually will will help to embed and, and make this uh this agenda work i think if we all work together it's, it's it's better if we work in silos then you know we'll keep our best practice to ourselves and we won't necessarily help to to lead change which would be a shame no definitely i think that's really really important mm. and then moving on i wanted to get your um thoughts on what your job you know how it is entailed at the business you know what's your day-to-day -day like yeah so my role is to, to provide the, the strategic approach for diversity and inclusion at Sovereign um, and to lead the delivery of uh, the diversity and inclusion strategy over the next three years. Yeah. Uh, so as the lead, I see my responsibility as being one of ensuring that everybody in the business understands our vision for, for, for DNI, uh, but also more importantly, that they understand what role they have to uh, play in its delivery. My mantra to the business has always been, I'm not delivering this agenda, you are. Uh, or at least you're helping me to do that. Um, and so overall, you know, my ambition is to, to, for Sovereign to, to create a workforce which reflects uh, the, the communities that we, we, we operate in um, and to build a workforce culture that supports diversity and inclusion. Uh, now, in terms of a typical day for me, um, it's interesting, it's difficult actually to know because it's, it's different every time. Um, I think typically, if I take work out for a minute, it, my, my day all starts with a school run. Um, I am the father of, of two, um, a boy and a girl, uh, twins, and they're a handful at the moment because <laughs> we are getting ready for, um, to, for, for them to go to, to secondary school next year. Right. They're not a handful in a bad way. It's, it's more, you know, all the things you have to do to make sure that they're, they're, they, they are ready for the next move and, and, um, can get to, you know, get to school. But yeah, the school run is where I start. Um, and that's been much easier over the last uh, year and a half with, you know, the enforced work from home piece. I really do have flexibility in the way I work. 
But after I've dropped them off, I, you know, I usually come home and check my emails to see if they're in emergencies. But then usually it's it's onto the business of of um, seeing the action plan through the three year action plan that um, that I've developed for for Sovereign, um, and that is really a, a daily a daily piece of work. Uh, oh, sorry, daily a daily um, chore I've got to do. Um, again, something I, I really love doing, but it's a big job. So over the last few weeks, just for example, I, I've been working on a number of things daily, um, including working with our directorate senior leadership teams to develop directorate EDI uh, action plans, equality of the action plans. Um, the idea behind those is that they are going to help us um, deliver this whole diversity inclusion piece by having their own areas um, uh, cover diversity and inclusion through their actions. Um, so I've been working on them uh, to develop those. And we're also getting ready for National Inclusion Week and Black History Month. Um, so there's been meetings with our um, employee networks and employees across the business to, to, to get ready for that. Um, and my days have been taken up over the last uh, two months or so with the Stonewall Workplace Equality Submission that we're doing right now. So coming towards the end of that. Um, but yeah, it's it's difficult to say what to, a daily a daily yeah. day looks like. Um, sorry, a so day looks like um, typically, but it's it's busy. I can tell you that. I can imagine. It sounds like you've got your hands full over there, especially with two uh, two little ones. It sounds like you're very busy. <laughs> yes, and um, as I say, they're they're a handful, but it's um, it's 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 a handful in a good way. I, I, I can't imagine my life without them, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, I'm glad that I'm doing the role I'm doing now because it allows me to see the world in a different way i guess the world i'd like it to be rather than the way it is um so i'm working with them in mind when i do my work right definitely and i guess i wanted to ask you and and you mentioned there as a parent well how was it for you during i guess lockdown with 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 two children were you able to work flexibly throughout that whole time or did you find it a bit of a struggle at times as well No, so thanks to Sovereign, I 100% have been able to, to do yeah. the job flexibly. I, I, I joined Sovereign during the lockdown. Um, I, yeah. I did everything, actually, from the interview to, to joining the organization um, via uh, from my home. And um, I think I, I did the interview just before the lockdown was about to happen. I was given the choice of doing the interview from my bedroom um, or coming into the office. And I, I took yeah. the, the latter and um, I really appreciated that. But I wasn't sure how it was going to work. I think like most people, we weren't sure how it was going to work. But everything, I have to say, has been seamless in terms of just doing the role. And I have come to appreciate the the levels of flexibility and ways in which I, perhaps I, I've not thought about before. Mm. Um, I guess when people spoke about flexible working or flexible working options, I had an idea in my head as, as to how it could work, but didn't always see the benefits of it and went into the office religiously because it was there. Um, and I think I've, I've come to do some of my best work from home um, because I'm not distracted by many other things. Although I do see, you know, obviously there's a well-being benefit around going into the office from time to time. Um, but I, more than anything else, I, I do appreciate the fact that I don't have to do the commute from London to Basingstoke, um, where, where Sovereign are based. So I'm based in London. Wasn't sure how I was going to do that commute on a daily basis, and it never transpired that I have to. So I travel into the office as and when I'm needed, um, but I do most of my work from home um, with the, the company's blessing. So it's been great. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, it seems to be the way many businesses are going now. So it's good to see, obviously, and hear that Sovereign is, is adopting that model. Hmm. 
And um, just circling back to your role and, and DNI, um, we covered something I think a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, um, that diversity was among a top focus for HR teams and boards. Yeah. And with that in mind, I wanted to ask you whether you think change needs to come from the top in order to improve DNI in 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 that. I think it's imperative that change comes from the top. Um, it doesn't. This whole piece falls over if there isn't any directional leadership from the top and I don't mean the nice words where you have your boards and your CEOs saying we take diversity and inclusion seriously um, I expect every CEO and every board to, to, to say that but it's the you know the, the proof of the puddings and the eating as the, say, as the saying goes and I think where the change comes is where those same groups actually then say and here's what we're going to do about it um, and hold themselves up to um, to to be accountable for actions or um, you know the 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 work that the organisations said that it's going to do um, to deliver EDI. Um, and I think yeah, it it's definitely should be a top focus. I don't know if being a top focus is enough though. As I said, there's got to be that other piece as well. Um, I think. The reason it's been a top focus more recently has been because of uh, some high profile, very high profile incidents, or the, the, one of the highest profile that I've come across since I've been working in this area, um, which is uh, George Floyd's murder um, in 2020, uh, closely followed by a re-emergence of the, the Black Lives Matter movement. I think those two things were a, you know, a, a driver for many organizations saying that we take this seriously and we want to do something about it. But I think, you know, research globally, but, and I was looking this up recently by, by McKinsey and company um, last year showed that globally, there's still a gap between those companies that actually say they're going to do something and then do something about it. And then those that aren't going to do anything and, and never will. Um, and I think what the research has shown that, you know, is that um, yeah, little progress has been made um, by, by many companies and some have even gone backwards. And I think what this all shows is that if you want to tackle diversity and inclusion, you don't just talk about it. Um, you will um, take action to, to drive the issues of concern and it won't just be a nice to have as a result. So yeah, I, I, I do think that it needs to come from the top, but it needs to be backed up by actions from the top too. Definitely. I think that's that's quite a, a nice point just to have a break on there because we're just going to take a very quick ad break. And then when we come back, we're going to discuss ethnicity pay gap reporting. Hi there, it's Ben Miller, Commercial Director of Reward Strategy. I just wanted to remind you that we're returning to in-person face-to-face events this winter. On December the 7th in London, we'll be hosting the Reward and Payroll Summit covering a whole host of topics from responsible rewards, whether basic benefits should be considered as perks, to location-based pay, sick pay policies, IR35, and much, much more. With speakers from Mulberry, Coty, DHL, to name but a few. During the evening of the summit, we will also host the rewards, recognising the key workers who have kept the nation fed and watered during the pandemic, and always. Finally, we can dust off those dancing shoes and celebrate and start. So... If you're yet to book the events and get involved in any way, shape or form, connect with me on LinkedIn, check out the Royal Strategy website or look at my email on this podcast. And with that, I'll let you get back to listening. And we're back after that very quick ad break. And as I mentioned, Jerome, it would be great to get your thoughts on ethnicity pay gaps. Mm-hmm. 
And this is partly because earlier this year, it was recommended that UK employers should start reporting on ethnicity pay gaps. So what are your thoughts on this? I mean, do you think that will improve EDI? Yeah, I, I, I do. I think um, I think it will definitely help in creating a, an equitable play, playing field um, in that it, it will help provide a picture of what organisations actually look like um, and also create a picture that for themselves that they can learn from in order to improve their own employment practices. And it sends a message to the employees and others that they're not afraid to have difficult conversations about what that picture tells them and, and what, you know, and, and what they're going to do uh, as a result of it. So I definitely think it will um, will make a, a, a big difference. And I'm really pleased by those companies that aren't waiting for the, the legislation to come through to tell us what to do and what the methodology should be, methodology, sorry, should be, that um, they actually have for the last few years or so uh, been doing that. And going back to that good practice that I've seen that other housing associations do, that's one of them that I, I saw that um, there were a couple of housing associations a few years ago that were producing their ethnicity pay gap with that in mind. Um, even though the picture wasn't a great one, they were still willing to talk about it and they were talking about what they were going to do about it as well through their actions. And those actions are being led from the top. So yeah, I, I, I do think it's a good thing. Yeah, I think, like you say, it'll be interesting to see, I guess, what companies take the lead and actually just choose to go forwards with that rather than waiting for the legislation, for example, to actually come into effect. Yeah. And yeah, I think it, it's 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 good in that sense. But I, I as much as I think it's a good thing, um, I, I it's only one of the keys, as I say, to, to opening the door to, to progress. It's not for me the the main one. And it comes back to the question you asked me before, what is that that main one? And for me, the, the, the main one still is the the leadership buy in and ownership yeah. of the topic. Um, so, you know, in my experience, when senior leaders or CEOs and boards want things to happen, they usually do. And um, so when a change is requested by leaders, change comes. And so pay gap reporting is important, but like any DNI initiative, if it's not backed by leadership action, then it will be reporting for the sake of it. And we don't want that. You know, we want this to lead to some different, something different uh, and uh, to an equitable playing field. So. I'm hoping that um, once it does come in and we have those pictures, that the action plans are being led on from the top and also being scrutinized by the, the, the leaders as well with that question in mind, you know, is this going to change things for us or what actions are we going to see to do to, to move that dial so that we actually get to a point where there is equity? Definitely. And things like the gender pay gap reporting that has been around now for, for a couple of years. Yeah. Do you think that's actually contributed to improving this sort of conversation? Or like you say, does more still need to be done in that regard from, from the top? I think still more needs to be done, but I'm really grateful for the fact that the the, ethnic, the, sorry, the gender pay gap reporting has been in place. Uh, because for the first time, you know, um, when they first came in, the, the companies were being made and forced to to talk about issues that perhaps they weren't going to talk about. Um, that stayed sometimes with the, the um, those groups that were interested in those areas, um, such as the likes of the women's network or the gender networks for the organisations that were involved, um, or, or those who were just felt that there was an issue but they didn't know how to bring it up. I think you know being forced to talk about the show you what your picture looks like and then say what your action plan is 
meant that at least it was on the table. The discussion was there to be had. Um, and for the progressive organizations, they were then able to say, here's what we've done as a result of us being, us saying, this is what our, our plan is. So I'd, again, yes, I do think it was a, a good thing. Um, and it's opened the door, if you like, to, to more conversations like this. Yeah, I think that's very true in terms of conversations. It helps to to lead that agenda, doesn't it? Particularly in businesses. It does. And I, I think that's important because again, going back to that point, that McKinsey report, those leading, leading organizations, the, those ones that actually take uh, DNI seriously are always going to be able to to push the, the this type of work forward. Whereas those that perhaps don't take it that seriously, um, if they were given the opportunity to not talk about it, would just take that opportunity and say nothing at all. Yeah. Um, and hopefully it would go away, I guess, um, and carry on with what they've been doing. So it's it's definitely allowed that conversation to remain um, relevant and, and still open. Definitely. And then circling back to your career currently, I wanted to ask you if there were any initiatives or schemes that you're particularly proud of spearheading during your time at the business. Yeah, I I can. There's a, a few actually. I, I I can point to the development of our employee networks or employee resource groups as they're as they're known as well uh, at Sovereign because I'm a big advocate of of them um, as groups that that can help with regards driving this agenda forward and embedding it within within the organisations. Um, I am on the committee for the National Day for Staff Networks, uh, which is led by a, a colleague of mine, Sharon Inkotaria who founded the whole thing. And for that reason, um, it's that networks have always been very important to, to, to me in terms of the delivery of, of what I do, uh, but also for delivery of DNI. And so at Sovereign, um, when I joined, we didn't have any. Um, and now we have three with a forthcoming. We've got a, a gender network, an LGBTQ plus network, an ethnicity network, and soon to be a uh, at the end of the month, a disability network, um, and they've they've really helped to to drive things forward to make the business actually understand that DNI doesn't just sit in HR that it involves people, um, and also in helping people to feel supported and included as the work that we're doing. So I'm I'm really happy with that. But the the one I'm really proud of um, is the fact that each of our directorates now has these directorate EDI action plans. Um, so following the launch of the strategy. Uh, earlier this year in April, um, I asked every directorate to develop action plans to show how they would deliver our strategic aims on diversity and inclusion, which was a big ask given that many of them came back to me to say, I'm not an expert in this, so how would I know? Um, and I think what we've been able to do and um, working together, we've been able to show is that, you know, the, seeing things through an EDI lens is what we were talking about and seeing the strategy and their work through an EDI lens um, is, is really uh, sorry, their, their approach for an EDI lens is what we want them to do. And by doing that, they've created these action plans for themselves, which they have bought into and will help deliver. And by delivering them, they're going to help us deliver our strategy. So it's a, it, it was a really simple thing, which took time to, to make happen. But now it has happened. We're in a good place to, to really drive forward and kick on with this, this uh, delivery of the strategy, which I'm really pleased with. Definitely. It sounds very exciting and like there's a lot going on for you. Yeah, uh, there, there really is. Going back to my day job, my daily uh, routine, there's something different every day, but it's it was all based on embedding uh, this this strategy and, and delivering the, the, the aims over the next three years. Brilliant. 
And there was something I noticed on Sovereign's website. They offer a women in trade scheme. And I wanted to ask you a little more about that and why it was launched and I guess what it entails exactly. Yeah, so that was an initiative that was launched before my time by a former colleague, uh, Leanne Shepard. And quick shout out to Leanne there. She did a fantastic job in setting this up. Um, Sovereign's by no means the only organisation that has women in our uh, trades teams. But what Leanne and Sovereign recognise is that we could use that platform, our platform uh, of trade work to help improve the the 1% rate of women in trades across the UK. Uh, and there's an opportunity also to promote gender equality in our trade roles by providing access to employment opportunities with us. So what we've done over the last two, three years or so is, is offer open days and opportunities for women to, to come and see what it's like to work with us, really, um, in, in that respect. And, and we've seen women join us as a result of us reaching out um, and, and say, come, come and uh, work with us in our teams. Um, this year, our executive board agreed to an, an aspirational target um, to increase women that we have in our trades team from the, the current 3.5% rate that we have to 75 by, by 2023, so 7.5%. Um, that's a really ambitious target, and we're not naive to the difficulty in achieving it, but we have, we, we, we're confident we can. We have set up a working group dedicated to taking action on it. Uh, and we'll be working closely with uh, Women Into Construction, um, the organization that, uh, that can hopefully help us with the delivery of that. But um, it's been important to us to, to, to drive that, uh, that gender equality mm-hmm. in, in our trade roles, really. So that was the main thing for us. And we wanted to make sure that we were helping to make a difference on that score. For sure. And I guess it's nice to see that it is making a difference in that respect. It is, it is. But again, you know, just bringing women in isn't going to be enough. We, we've we've got to make sure that we are creating the right environments for the women to to who are joining us uh, in our teams as well. We've got to get our trades teams uh, ready and understanding why we, we you know this is important to us um, and and the business so that they really fully buy into into this. And so we've got you know an inclusive environment for everyone. Um, so yeah, there is work to do, but it, it is definitely uh, good to see progress is being made. Um, and as I say, hopefully if we do hit that 7.5% by 2023, that will be fantastic, I think, for us and the industry. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you do, you must let us know so we can cover that for you, because that sounds very exciting. Definitely. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep you posted um, <laughs> on, on, on our progress on that one. Fantastic. And one thing I wanted to ask you, obviously on reward strategy, we cover a lot in terms of news regards rewards and employee benefits. So something I wanted to ask you is how I guess employers can turn the traditional rewards. So, you know, things like bike to work schemes, even flexible working, those sorts of things, how they can be more tailored towards DNI or, or if that can even be possible. I think it can be possible, but I think firstly, I, I, I do think it's a great it's great that employers offer rewards to employees and incentives are, are usually a, a good thing to, to offer. But I do think in offering the, the traditional rewards like bite schemes and, and, and other uh, rewards that there's often a traditional approach as well, as in they're treating those rewards as though they're going to benefit everyone in every circumstance. Uh, and they, they won't always benefit everyone in the same way. And so in providing rewards, I, I think that organizations would benefit from taking a step back sometimes and asking themselves, you know, what are our employees' needs? So, for example, you know, we, we've got a bite scheme, but the question that, I, you know, you'd ask or that I would ask is, is that bite scheme inclusive of, of disabled people? Right. 
um, you know, are our life assurance or spouse benefits um, reflective, spouse pension benefits, sorry, uh, reflective of a, of a modern family? Um, how many of our employees work beyond 65? And, you know, do our insurances continue to provide cover past that point? Are our medical benefits accessible to everyone? Is our flexible working offer clear? You know, that, that these are things that, and what do we mean by flexible working? Because I've, I've found that's different in, in, in many people's minds and people come into the business thinking they understand what it is, but then when they see the reward scheme, they think that's not what I thought it was. So all these things I think um, will, you know, allow us to, to at least tailor the, uh, the reward scheme to, um, to, to suit people's needs. Uh, and, and many DNI plans and organ people who show they say that they you know are interested in, and want to do something around DNI, they say that they want people to bring their best and whole selves to work. Um, and I think one of the ways you can do that is by making them feel included, and by making the reward scheme uh, or the reward offer inclusive of needs or wants, really. So long answer, but yeah, in short, yes, I do think there are ways in which the, uh, they can be tailored. For sure. I think, that's, I think that's really interesting. Sorry, I didn't mean to butt in there, Jerome, but I think that's really interesting how you've you've switched that there and, and made it, you know, it does apply to DNI and it, it can be switched to, to to focus on that. Yeah, and I think it's not always the case that people see it that way. And it's only through experience that I have, mm. to be honest. You know, the, the questions I asked there were ones which have come up in, in roles I've had where people have come to to me employees have come to me to say to tell me about what their needs are and you know to note that our reward scheme doesn't include them and and that is quite telling you can't tell a person that you know the reward scheme isn't uh, that is inclusive of their needs if they're telling you here's why it isn't you know you if you're good you're going to listen to what that person tells you and then take a step back and think what can we do if anything to, to to help make that difference Exactly. Yeah, I think that's so true. And uh, just before we wrap up this episode, I wanted to ask you what you'd be doing if you weren't in the EDI space. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's a good question. Mm. I am. Um, I'm a bit of a nerd, <laughs> so <laughs> I I do like, and I, I I'm a bit of a nerd. I'm a bit of someone who likes fantasy and and comic okay. books, and I have done since I was a child. Maybe it's where my imagination goes when I'm talking about the DNI practice I always trying to think outside the boxes because my mind goes everywhere when I'm thinking about um, things but um, I'd be running a comic book shop I think <laughs> I think I'd have a business running a comic book shop um, I don't think I'd do much business because I think I'd be reading them too many times <laughs> but I think I would definitely be um, looking to do that and yeah you can imagine my excitement over the last 20 years or so of Marvel comics, uh, sorry, Marvel movies, because um, my comic books come into life. But I do tend to, when I'm not passionate about DNI, I'm very passionate about comic books. So, um, and I'm only answering that because you asked me. So. <laughs> no, that's good to know. That's good. To, I mean, there's quite a lot of new movies at the moment, isn't there? Or the last few years, certainly. So there's probably quite a few new comic books that you can actually stock. So maybe in a few years you can uh, you can take uh, take retirement and do that, for example. <laughs> maybe, but don't start me off because I, I will go off on one and start talking about that as well. But yes, um, it's, it's a great question. And I, I do think it's... Um, yeah, it's nice to have something else other than this. But as passionate as I am about DNI, 
uh, I, I do love my comic books. <laughs> Brilliant. Now that's great to know. Well, that is about all we've got time for, Jerome. So I do want to just say thank you again for joining me on this episode. It's been a pleasure to have you on today. No problem. And thanks for the, the questions as well. They really did make me think. And um, yeah, I really did enjoy it. That's great. And uh, I just want to remind our listeners today that we'll be back with another Friends in Benefits very soon. In the meantime, don't forget to check out the latest issue of Reward Strategy magazine, Making Payroll Sexy, where we take a look into why payroll should be considered as a career aspiration. Thank you all for listening once again.